I invite you to take a seat. As we gather tonight, we're going to be going through a three-part series called Deliver Us. Uh, but as I was praying, I think sometimes we kind of wonder, are, are priests like real people? Like, do they ever um, struggle or whatever? Um, I just want to share with you what I thought of God when I was just a little boy. So my, my parents were very good for me, and they would bring me to Mass every Sunday. Um, but I didn't know that priests were people. As a child, I always thought, like, the priest is God or whatever. And we had a high altar, not as beautiful as this one, not even close to being as beautiful as, as this one. But I always thought, like, after Mass, that the priest would just go behind there, because I always saw him going behind there. And he would just kind of grow wings and just go up to heaven. And that's just kind of the way that he lived his life. And on Sundays, he'd come back down, and we'd have Mass. And I didn't really think very deeply about God, or what we mean by God, or what we truly should be knowing as, as what is the gospel, but, there's, but there was just like, the priest I had, you know, God rest his soul, he was, as he was, grow, was going through mass, my parents would always be like elbowing us because eventually we started falling asleep. He ended up saying every single homily had at least 20 to 80 mks, and he was very monotone. Today in the gospel, okay, and we heard that over and over and over. And one thing we never heard was, like, what is the gospel? And we're going to be going through what that is tonight. And the gospel is also known as the kerygma. And a kerig is someone who proclaims what that good news is. So anytime someone would conquer an area in ancient Roman times, they'd, they'd roll out their words and they'd make a gospel proclamation, the gospel of whatever emperor was at the time. But it was supposed to bring good news, that everyone would be safe, everyone would be okay. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's life-changing, transforming news. But often in the church, one thing I think we just don't do is we don't do a review. If you ever start college classes or a course, usually the first thing you do is you review. So tonight we're going to be going through like what are the basic principles of the gospel, and I'll be mainly coming from one of my priest heroes, uh, a book he wrote called Rescued by Father John Ricardo. And I've been following him for over 10 years and listening to his homilies, and just always been inspired by his preaching, but what he's doing is he's sharing the, the gospel with those who he preached, preaches to. And he goes through four questions, which we'll be going through tonight. And the first question is, like, why is there something instead of nothing? Which is a, a really big question that often gets skipped over. And then he goes into, well, what went wrong? Second question. And then we're going to go through, what, if anything, has God done about it? And how should I respond? So we're just going to pray before we do that, because uh, I was trained in the St. Ignatius way of praying, and he always says, before you pray, you should always ask for a grace. And I'll be asking for graces for us to receive tonight as we go through the gospel tonight. I'll have times of pausing and then I'll have a moment of adoration where Maria will sing some music just to help us enter into the gospel experience. But I'll give you a moment also to ask for any graces you need. And I, I mean you sitting here tonight. 
And I say that intentionally because as a priest, one thing that people often come to me and say, Father, my son or my daughter or my grandchildren aren't going to church. We're just going to take a break from that for a second. And I want you, like, what do you, you really need? So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask that you send forth your Holy Spirit in a way that will truly transform our lives tonight. We ask that your Holy Spirit would give us the gift of wonder and awe at your creation. We ask that your Holy Spirit would give us a sense of fear and trembling at how bad the bad news is. We ask that your Holy Spirit would give us the grace of courage to let Jesus come rescue us. And we ask for the grace of zeal, holy zeal, to respond wholeheartedly with deep surrender and trust in the good news of the gospel. We just pause for a moment just to offer our own graces, ask for our own graces that we desire from you, O Holy Spirit. Consecrate all these prayers to Our Lady as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Make all these prayers in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How do you see the world? All of us are wearing lenses that we have, that we see the world a certain way. And I think one of the traps that the, the evil one has is, is, is just brought us into is not seeing the world through a biblical lens. We have to know the story. We also have to know that we are a part of this story. And when we don't know the story, we, we tend to make different idols in our lives. And we're, gonna, we're created to worship something. And, and if it's not God, we're going to worship politics or it's going to be sports or it's going to be money, or pleasure, or power, or status, or whatever it is. Uh, but one thing that the gospel does is it crushes our idols and helps us know what is truly worthy of our time, our talent, and our treasure. So the first question we're going to go over tonight, and I'm going to go through this very, fairly fast because we want to have time for prayer to digest it. All of these will be recorded on my podcast, and the parish will let you know where to find that. If you want to look up Father Zach Lover homilies, you can look up that online. But the first question we're going to go into tonight is, is why is there something instead of nothing? And there, I think one of the reasons why that's so important because it helps us understand what God's original plan was. And when we look at creation, God is incredibly creative. And when God created the world and the universe, he created it effortlessly and out of pure love. He created a universe that is 90 plus billion light years across. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't understand numbers like that. I'm not a huge numbers guy, but numbers do seem to help. 
And everything that, that God created, again, he created effortlessly, and he created out of love. So as we look at 90 billion light years, do you know how long it would take to count that? Like we would, some of you would be here for 30 million years to count that long. None of us are going to last that long to count that long. And also out of everything that God created, he created the stars. In Genesis 1.16, we hear the, the beginnings of creation and we hear the, the words that God created the sun, which he called the greater light, and a lesser light that shine at night called the moon. And it says he also created the stars. Do you know how many stars there are? that we can at least find at this time. There's over 400 billion stars in the universe that we can find. And if you were to take all of those stars and you were to make them into a grain of sand and build a sandcastle, that sandcastle would be 35 miles by 35 miles by 35 miles. Sometimes we, we, we wonder, can, can God really help me, right? So he created this all effortlessly out of love and, he, and that was nothing for him. But out of everything that God created, his highlight of his creation was you and me. And he desired deep abiding relationship with us, communion, peace, harmony. And that was his original plan. Death was not a part of God's original plan. Hatred, war, was not a part of his original plan. So the second question we're going to go into tonight is, is like, what went wrong? Or as Father Ricardo puts it in his book, like, what the hell happened? As priests, the, the number one thing that people come to us for is, is for help. And it's often just struggling with that question of the why. Often when people come to, to priests, it's not because they want to share all these good things that are happening. It's because something's wrong and they want to know why. Why do little children get cancer? Why did my friend die in that car crash? Why did my friend commit suicide? Just the question of why, why, why? And it's the ache of, of so many, in so many of our hearts. And again, that God created a universe that is 90 plus billion light years across. He also created angels. And one of the angels chose to rebel against God's plan, as scripture says in the book of wisdom, out of envy of you and me. Envy is different than jealousy. Envy is actually wanting someone to suffer immensely because they're jealous of what you have. They want what you have. And when this great angel, Lucifer, who is the most magnificent of angels, which means light bearer, he chose to rebel he began to go after our first parents of Adam and Eve. And again, Adam and Eve are in complete harmony, complete peace with God. God is always with them. They're abiding in, in the garden. Everything is the way it was meant to be. And as the evil one begins to tempt them, he tempts them in a few different ways. But the first way we know is, is doubt, to question God's goodness. And some of us struggle with that too. Did God really say not to eat? As if 
Some of us believe that if I give my heart over to God, like, is God, God's, God's withholding something from you. He wants to take something away. God doesn't want you to be happy. St. Thomas Aquinas, in his writings, who's a beautiful theologian, he talks about this, there's this non-competitive nature of God, which is where often most of us go absolutely wrong because of what sin has done in our lives. The non-competitive nature of God simply means that. God is not in competition with you. God is fully sufficient in himself. We look at the hypostatic union, which I'll talk about in a moment, but like the hypostatic union of God taking on flesh. There was no static. There was no resistance in his human nature and his divine nature. So Adam and Eve, when they, when they sinned and they took the bait, so to speak, what they did is they sold the whole human race into slavery against powers that they can't compete against. In the scriptures, that, that power of sin and death is at times in capital letters as if they're governments, they're dominions. And you and I can't compete against the powers of sin and death, and the, the power of sin is actually very easy to prove. Just ask yourself right now, have you ever done something you didn't want to do? You knew it was wrong, you hated doing it, but you did it anyways. All of us should be like, like, yep, like every day I do something that I don't like doing. That's because sin is a power. And, and, and how bad hell is, and we have to know how bad hell is and how bad the bad news is because then it's, it's almost impossible for us to understand how good and extremely good the good news is. The image that Father Ricardo uses of how bad it is is when we are sold and these powers we can't compete against is using the image of the evil one being a human trafficker. And this should hit home for us here in Oshkosh because at the EAA, that's one of the biggest human trafficking events in the world. Between five and 800,000 people come to our city from all over the world. And some are there looking to pick off people. And imagine, just use your imagination from what you want to close your eyes, you can. You pray for the grace of, 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 of fear and trembling. Imagine yourself, you're in a room. You're bound to a chair. You're shackled up, you're chained up, and you get abused every single day. You can't sleep because that makes you vulnerable. You're gagged so you can't talk. You defecate because you can't go to the bathroom in your own pants. And you're sitting there, and no one's going to come for you. And that's going to be your life. No hope. No way out. Which leads into the third question. What, if anything, has God done about this? So there you are. You're in that room. Bound, hopeless, completely exhausted. And one day, someone knocks on the door. They open the door, and they come in, they put their hand on your shoulder. 
And that kind of scares you because it, you've been abused and you, you know that means, means something bad might happen. But this particular person, when they come in the room, they exude peace and strength and love and mercy. And they kneel down before you and begin to unbind you. And they break all the chains. And they begin to lead you out the door. And that kind of scares you. Because you're thinking, I know who's out there. The trafficker. Who's made my life a living hell. But when you walk out there, he's all bound up. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses this parable. He talks about the parable of the strong man. And he says the only way that a strong man can be overcome is if a stronger man comes in. So what Jesus is doing is he's coming to overtake the dominion of the evil one. To win you back. Because God wants his family back. When the first sin happened and our whole, the whole human race was sold into, human, into slavery, into human trafficking, whichever way you want to look at it, against powers that can't compete against, that crushed the Father's heart. So what did he do? I want you to imagine just the Trinity talking. We have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, and they see the first sin happen. And the father says, who's going to go get them? Who's going to go get my children back? And Jesus says, I will. And the Holy Spirit just knows what that's going to take. The incarnation. This God that created a, a universe that is 90 plus billion light years across, taking on flesh should just rattle our brains. It should shake our hearts. We should never get bored of contemplating what the Christian faith says that God became a person and took on our flesh. And often we see those, you know, Christmas scenes of the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Have you ever considered asking the question, why are they there? Like, why are they there? Why did they come? The image that Father Ricardo uses to help us understand how extremely explosive the good news is, the gospel is, as St. Paul says, it is explosive news. He uses the image of World War II. There's a dictator named Hitler. And he's making all sorts of people's lives a living hell and making them live in fear and trembling through intimidation. And one day in France, the French open the newspaper and they see this big print. The Allies have landed. The Allies have landed. The Allies have landed. Like, do you think that they would just turn to their neighbor and say, hmm, 
It was like the Allies landed. Like, no, they would go around to their friends and they would have hope for the first time that someone has come to save them, someone has come to rescue them, someone has come to liberate them. They have hope for the first time that this hell might be over, this slavery of fear might be over. Yet when it comes to Christmas, and we look at the Holy Family, if you put that image up against the Allies landing, like, why are they there? If you were taking a ninth grade history class, and it asked, multiple choice, of course, and it asked, why did the Allies land? And if it said something along the lines of, they landed because the beaches of Normandy are beautiful. You have, they landed because they want to go to Notre Dame, one of the most beautiful churches ever to exist. No, they landed because the coffee in Paris is excellent. For the final answer, they're there to fight. When you look at Mary, Jesus, and Joseph, why are they there? I would say the answer is very similar. They're there to fight. They're there to go into the human trafficking room to win you and I back. Because we don't belong there. This is what Jesus is doing on the cross. A lot of people miss this. He's doing many, 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 many things on the cross. But what Jesus is doing, he's also, what he's trying to do is he's actually baiting Satan. He's trying to bait Satan because what he wants to do is he, Jesus actually wants to go to hell. Because he wants to go behind enemy lines and completely blow it up. Is Jesus suffering on the cross immensely? I'm not trying to like poo-poo that. Is, is, is Jesus showing us the heart of the Father? Yes, of course he is. But he's trying to go to those places where all are enslaved to sin to set them free. And like if, if, if Jesus has done that, the question is, the fourth question, by his death and resurrection, by conquering sin and death, by conquering hell and Satan, the fourth question is, how should I respond to that? How should I respond to God doing that for me, by me? Like when God comes to us, he doesn't see a crowd. He sees you and he sees you and he calls you by name. He doesn't see crowds. He sees his beloved sons and his beloved daughters. Like, wouldn't the proper answer be to surrender to that? I always like Bishop Barron. He says, when the, when the gospel is proclaimed, indifference is not an option. And how often do we see indifference happening in our world today? We see suffering. We say, oh, you do you. It doesn't bother me. I'm not going to do anything. But no, the gospel charges us to live differently, to radically go out and rescue those who are enslaved to sin. And for some reason, because maybe you had priests like mine who were just very monotone and they weren't excited about this, this gospel, what do you think is going to happen to the people? They're going to become soft and they're going to become indifferent and they're not going to know what difference the gospel of Jesus Christ makes. 
And I don't know about you, but I, I can't stand the amount of indifference we see in our culture today. And the one thing is, there is no option for indifference when the gospel is proclaimed. Either you're going to completely accept it and surrender to it, or you're going to reject it with every fiber of your being. Indifference is not an option. Indifference is off the table. And Jesus has come to set captives free. We hear in the Gospel of Luke that he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon him, and he has come to bring liberty to captives. And all of us are captive to something or someone. And the Lord comes to us through the power of his Spirit, and he knocks at the doors of our hearts, and it's your invitation It's your free will inviting him in to let him come save you. We live in a culture that's so just into just, I got to take care of it myself. I got to do this myself. But the thing is, you can't save yourself. We already proved that you can't compete against the power of sin. You can't. When we read Revelation 3.20, as you look at this image, I just want to draw your hearts to this image. We read in Revelation 3.20 that Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If you open the door, I will come in and dine with you. And as I was meditating upon what I think the Lord just wants to bring before you tonight, I want you to think of those places where you felt hopeless or maybe deep evil was done to you or even you did evil to others. It's just as Jesus comes in, he, like, what do you think he'd want to say to you? Do you think he would say, what a mess. I think for a lot of us tonight, the, the thing he wants to impress upon our hearts is, I wish this never happened to you. When you were little and your friends abandoned you, you started hating yourself, I wish that never happened to you. When your parents divorced and you thought it was your fault, I wish that never happened to you. When you stumble across pornography and thought it was exciting but now you're stuck and trapped. At that first time, I wish that never happened to you. When, so, when, that, when you were abused or neglected, I wish that never happened to you. It was never his plan in the first place. And all that Jesus needs from us tonight is just our will. He needs us to be willing to trust him. When we say the prayer in divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you, when we're saying, I trust in you, we're saying that I believe that your plans are better than mine. I believe that your plans are better than mine. I think it was very coincidental that as I, I, I started tonight, I didn't have the key to the tabernacle. 
Jesus is the key. He's the only way out. As we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus is the way to the Father so we can know that we are beloved sons and daughters. He is the truth that sets captives free, and he is the life that is worth living. So a few questions just to help you enter more deeply into night as we just pray for deeper freedom is also know how the enemy works. The enemy is the enemy. The enemy is not another religious group. The enemy is not another gender, a race, a political party. The enemy is the enemy. I'm going to give you a few questions just just to rest with tonight. The first one is, where is the enemy accusing me right now? Remember, the enemy's goal is very simple in your life. He wants to still steal, kill, and destroy. And he loves to accuse us. Second question is, what lie is crippling me right now? Some of the lies that people struggle with. I'm a burden to others. Nobody wants me around. Lie. It was your fault. Lie. You could have done something about it. Lie. I'm too far gone. I'm dirty. I'm averted. Lie. There's no way that I'm worth it. I'm not good. Lie. Another question to ask tonight is, where is the enemy causing division in my life right now? The enemy loves to divide us. Another question to ponder tonight is, where, where is the enemy flattering my ego? Sometimes it sounds like, you deserve X. You've been through so much. Another question is, what temptation is strongest in my life right now? The one that comes after you. Is it alcohol? Is it impurity? Is it anger? Is it revenge? And the last one that I think a lot of us struggle with is, where am I just most frustrated and discouraged right now? 
And if you desire freedom, if you desire deeper surrender, if you desire deeper trust in this good news, and even the ability to share it with others, one thing we all also do is make a public proclamation of what we believe. And I'm not talking about the creed, but actually accepting the gospel, inviting the one who is knocking at the door of my heart in, and giving him everything. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. Disciples were known for announcing everything. Because they didn't want to ever go back to being enslaved. They didn't ever want to go back into the human trafficker's house where the lies just keep coming up. If you feel called and inspired to do so, we'll do a call and response. I'll say the words... Um, just praying for the grace to be rescued. And the one thing is that rescued people rescue people. So once we've accepted the life-changing news of the gospel, that is the first step. Second step is what we're going to do next week is also dealing with how do I get healed from having the living crap beat out of me for the past 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years by being bombarded with lies. How do I start that process of healing? That'll be next time. So if you feel called and inspired and you want freedom, let's invite you to repeat after me this prayer, and then we'll enter into time of adoration, and then we'll close with personal benediction. So you can repeat after me. God, I believe... That out of your infinite love, you created me. I'm sorry for all the times I have believed the enemy's lies and that you are not a good father and that you don't love me. Please forgive me for all my sins. I thank you for sending Jesus to rescue me from sin, death, hell, and Satan. And I choose this day to place your son Jesus at the center of my life. And so today, here and now, I surrender to you, Jesus, and desire your lordship over every area of my life. I ask you now to flood my soul with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Help me to accept and know my true identity as a beloved son or daughter. Help me to know that I matter to you and that I am worth dying for. Please recreate me and restore me to be the person you destined me to be. Please use me 
as an instrument in your merciful hands to rescue others and to recreate this world that you so dearly love. Amen. Make all these prayers in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.